First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. Somewhere around 1985, I visited Estill County, Kentucky for the very first time. And for those of you who are not familiar with that area, it's part of what is called Appalachia. I went as part of a service project with APSO, Appalachian People's Service Organization. And we were there to put in water systems and uh, septic systems for families that were a few mountains over from the Red River Gorge. It was an amazing trip, mostly because of the people there. And the first local teenager who rushed out to offer help and to welcome us and to bring us drinks of his well water was a young man named Manfred. And after getting to know him for a few days, we got to go see where Manfred lived. This is in 1985. They had a wood stove for cooking and heating and a cistern that collected water. They did have electricity. There was a massive satellite dish out in the yard because you needed one to get any television reception in the mountains. But the roof was made out of shingles and tar paper and long slabs of tin and some tarps. And Manfred showed us very, very proudly his personal books. He had four or five of them. He'd bought them at school book fairs with his own money and he kept them in a plastic freezer bag so that they wouldn't get ruined when the roof leaked because his room was right under the, uh, the eaves. He had never seen or heard of a mall. He had heard of elevators and escalators, but he couldn't imagine riding on one of those or what that would be like. And he'd actually left school a year before at 16 so that he could get what he considered to be an amazing job, a roofing job with his dad. He told us together they made about $450 a month after taxes, and they were able to work April through October each year. That's $3,150 a year. That would have been a little less than half the poverty level at the time. And Manfred and his dad considered themselves amazingly lucky. They had an old truck that worked well. They owned their house and land free and clear. They knew how to cook and hunt. They had friends that traded them fruit for the vegetables they grew. They were making it. They had one another and they had a firm community holding them up. A few years back, an anti-poverty program came out called Living Below the Line. And some of you may have heard about it. Gwyneth Paltrow was probably one of the biggest uh, celebrities that actually tried it. And the way that the program worked is it challenged people to live, to feed themselves for $1.50 per person per day for five days. And when Living Below the Line first came out, I, I thought about Manfred, who was doing the equivalent, he and his father, of feeding themselves on about 50 cents a day. 
When Gwyneth Paltrow tried this, she couldn't even make it through the first shopping trip because she couldn't understand. She literally couldn't understand that she couldn't go to the all organic grocery that she preferred. And so they couldn't make it through the first day because she spent <clears throat> her $1.50 on one apple and then had to go and try to figure out, well, I, I, I can't do anything. Poverty level today for a family of four is $24,000. For a family of two, it would be about $15,000, fifteen dollars Because of the mortgage bubble that burst back in 2008 or so, many low-income families live in apartment buildings or subsidized housing and they can't put in Manfred's wood-burning stove, and they can't dig a cistern, certainly. We pay for city water and sewage. And in places like Flint, the city water isn't drinkable. There aren't places to grow vegetables and fruit. And automation and competition make semi-skilled labor jobs, jobs harder and harder to find. So how are we doing as a country right now? Well, 11.4% of American households, 37 million people, live below the poverty level. I know quite a few people who've tried the Living Below the Line project. Some of you may have. Most people found that there was just no way to make it work. Their children had sporting events and needed more food than that. You know, their, their, their son or daughter was going to go play in a, in a soccer game, and they weren't willing to have them do that for five days on minimal food that was not familiar. Many people had meetings at work that required them to buy coffee or lunch. Almost all the people that have tried it were able to drive to the store in their own car to find what they wanted at the first store they went to and come home and cook in pots and pans that they already owned with spices they already had in the cupboard with skills they learned way before they tried this. But for people who live this way all the time, they have no ability to walk away. Living below the line hit home for people, but the problem was they could just quit. According to the World Bank, you're in extreme poverty if you're short of food for all or part of the year, often only eating one meal a day, sometimes having to choose between feeding your children and feeding yourself, sometimes able to do neither. You can't save money. If a family member gets ill, you need to get the money to see a doctor, or if crops fail or jobs fails and you have nothing to eat, you have to borrow from a local money lender. And they'll charge you as much interest as the debt continues to mount and you'll never be free of it. These are the payday lenders and similar things where you can't ever get out from under it. Poverty means you can't afford to send your children to school or if they do go to school, you have to take them out again if the harvest is poor or you lose your job. It takes everything you have to meet whatever the state and federal requirement for education is because your kids don't have clothes, don't have shoes. 
You live in an unstable house made with things you need to rebuild every two or three years or in severe weather. You live in housing that the landlord doesn't maintain. You have no nearby source of safe drinking water or you have to carry your water a long way. Even then it can make you ill unless you boil it. This can be sub-Saharan Africa or Detroit or Youngstown or Flint. But the difference between Manfred and his dad and a family living in inner city Chicago or Milwaukee or Des Moines or Flint, well, the difference is us. The difference is us. The community. For Appalachian families 30 years ago, community elevated you from desperately poor to making it. The stone soup. Everybody kicked in. Communities supported you, helped you through. But as Brooke said, families today lack that. They may live hundreds or even thousands of miles from their actual nuclear family. And it's up to us, the people who think everybody should have a voice and everyone is entitled to worth. But we have to step forward and live into those values. And we can certainly do that. A few years ago, Peter Singer wrote an excellent book called The Life You Can Save. It's definitely worth reading. Peter Singer, The Life You Can Save. It explored extreme poverty around the world and it put forth a case for assessing your life and determining what it is you really need and what is excessive and finding ways to combat poverty on a global scale. When it was written, he didn't find most Americans to live in extreme poverty. But over the last 10 years, with the widening economic divide, a case could now be made for America and Americans as one of the groups who need help. Singer explains poverty. He looks at how it happens and how it keeps happening and what will destroy it. He investigates the arguments against destroying it. And he forces readers to look hard at the moral and ethical implications of inequality. So do yourself a favor, get the book. It's on Amazon. You can find used copies for a penny. It's, it's on different kinds of used books all over the place. It's worth it. He has some proposals that most people won't accept. Most of us will not sell our house and go to work in urban Washington, D.C. or in Flint or in Youngstown. But he puts forth one suggestion that I can't ignore. He uses this example. You are dressed in your best on your way to a special event. And on the way, you see a toddler who has fallen into a muddy pond and is drowning. No one else is there. No one is paying any attention. Without you, the child will die. And you can save them without any risk to your own life. This is a puddle. But your lovely clothing and your dress shoes are going to get ruined. And... You got to think about that for a minute. And someone asked, what's the name of the book? This is Peter Singer, The Life You Can Save. And I'll put that in the chat in just a minute. Singer says, if you agree that you should ruin those fancy dress clothes to save the child, 
then you should be able to recognize that we have an ethical responsibility to ruin the shirt, to give away the excess, to save the life of those drowning without you. Because we're a community. We are the people that can make the difference. You know, in September, there's a Jewish festival, the festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it commemorates all the years of wandering the Jews did, the little huts they built to shelter themselves, and the fact that through it all, they remained community. They shared what they had with one another. Atheism says care for one another out of enlightened self-interest, if nothing else. It makes the most sense not to have a poverty class. A poverty class cannot participate. Buddhism says, let go of your attachment to things. And that desire to have doesn't gain you wisdom. Christianity is blunt. The book of Luke, Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Winning at life isn't about how much you spend on clothing or a new bike or a summer house. I'm no wiser wearing fancy robes and a $400 stole than I am wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Some people will hear me better in the jeans and the tennis shoes. So take some time over the rest of this year and think about what it means to be beloved community to those surviving below the line. What can you do? Well, read The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. Understand how poverty happens. I would suggest that you try living below the line at least once, even if it's only for a few days and even if you quit almost immediately. Try feeding yourself on $1.50 a day per person. Try it for, for two days, if nothing else. Educate yourself on what poverty in America today really looks and feels like. Another thing you can do is to join the fight for a reasonable minimum wage. You can commit to donating financially to fight poverty. I personally take Peter, Singer, uh, Peter Singer's advice to heart. I joined the plain clothes movement years and years ago. Every year I donate the money that I would have spent on new or expensive clothing to buy clothing for the homeless. I live in only simple clothing, easily obtainable, easily replaceable. And I write down every time that I wish I could go have the brand new shirt, the fancy pair of pants, the expensive shoes. I write down what they would have cost. And at the end of the year, I donate that money. And last, commit to supporting your church so that we in turn can continue to educate and fight poverty as a group so that feds can continue to feed people so that our new kitchen can help to educate people on ways to eat healthy and ethically so that our vegan meals can continue. All these challenges aren't insignificant, but our faith, our belief in humanity 
calls us to deeds and not creeds. And these deeds are well within what we can do. So challenge yourself. Choose what sacrifices you would make to live James Luther Adams' examined life. Life that's done meaningfully. How will you help those surviving below the line? You don't have to climb the whole mountain. Just take a step. How will you help make their numbers smaller and their burdens lighter? We're all blessed in a lot of ways. So how are you going to share your blessings this year? Amen.